You're listening to Force Friends Rewatch, a Star Wars TV show podcast. From Rebels to Resistance and The Mandalorian to Ewoks, we've got you covered. Here's your warning, there will be spoilers. And there will be swearing, because our host just gets so gonk darn excited to talk about these good, good shows. Welcome to Force Friends Rewatch. I'm your host, Andy. And I'm Ryan. On Force Friends Rewatch, we watch Star Wars television shows, and then we come back here and we talk about them. That's what we do. Yeah! (laughs) We are currently covering every Mandalorian-themed episode of Star Wars The Clone Wars, Star Wars Rebels, leading up into our breakdown of The Mandalorian. Today we watched episodes one and two of season four of Rebels, Heroes of Mandalore. Before we get into that, though, Ryan has a bit for us. Oh, yeah. So to set the scene, it has been like maybe a hundred years since the Battle of Exegol meant the final defeat of Palpatine. And we do mean final this time, one hopes. Uh, you are contracted by the new, new, new Republic Tourism Board to be the historical tour guide at a historic site anywhere in the galaxy you choose. Where where do you seek employment? As either a historical reenactor or a battlefield guide or anything like that. Okay, so like national parks, I can yes. work at a Star Wars battlefield? Yeah, I mean, a Star Wars battle, any historic site, any... Okay. Oh, boy, I feel like I'm being put on the spot with this one. This is tough. I know. Um, I know. So there are some really cool Clone Wars battles, but they're all on kind of like garbage planets, not to sound... <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, because like you're a you, person. You kind of have to live there. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I want to like live on Geonosis or something like no. that. Um, or like uh, Mbara. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't know if I want that. Especially um, not Geonosis, because in this era, I mean, the Geonosians are extinct, so you're alone, alone. Yeah, this is tricky. Maybe the the like pirate planet where Hondo like had a base cuz like Florum. pirate tourism is like a thing. Yeah, oh, yeah. and like oh, uh, a Jedi council a Jedi council member died there, like Oh, true. Yeah, so there's there's some like historical stuff. Um yeah, maybe Florum my other answer is Endor and like give tours of the replica Ewok village. And, you know. <laughs> I had thought Endor. I hadn't thought Florum. That's a good one. What's your answer? My answer is what I was worried you were going to automatically say. And then this would be a short segment. Downtown feed. I thought about it. Yeah. It was up there. 
But that wasn't... I want to zip around in a flash speeder, talk about the different handmaidens, take everybody to the Jar Jar Monument, and maybe every now and then he pops in and does a little comedy act for us, because we don't really know how long Gungans live, but I choose to believe he is immortal. Yeah, I mean, it would be beautiful for sure. But... I do feel like the the tourists that are coming to Naboo are going to be a little tough to deal with. You know, they're going to be True. a little bit more, you know, snooty. But yeah, yeah Theed the is gorgeous. Brand. And you're kind of, I mean, like, I guess the other downside with Theed, to argue against myself, is like, that's a very dark period of their history. Like he, they're literally putting the people in camps. That would, that would become a soul sucking job at some point. Like anything interesting in Naboo history is not a good time. No, no. Naboo does not have the cleanest of histories. And you're going to get what we know. Yeah. You'll get weirdos coming because it's Palpatine's birthplace. Huh? I guess I got to be ready for that. Well, on that note, speaking of uh, war-torn planets with troubled backstories, I guess we should Let's be talking talk about, about Mandalore. Episodes. Yeah. yeah. This is so Rebels wa- finally goes to Mandalore. This is the first time we've ever seen Mandalore that I'm aware of in anything? Well, the Clone Wars. Oh, yeah, that's true. But they're always in the bubbles. This yes, is like Mandalore this is- proper. Yeah, this is the first time we're out of Sundari. Yeah. Which, like, yeah, shit, shit's rough. Yeah. So, the, the, it's two-parter. The episode starts with um, our heroes on the surface of Mandalore, and they are up to shenanigans trying to free Sabine's father. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is Kanan, Ezra, Sabine, working with uh, Clan Wren and uh, Fenral uh, to 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 rescue and jailbreak uh, Mister Sabine, Mister Wren, Mister Sabine, Daddy Wren, <laughs> father of Chet Sabine, if you remember our previous, yeah, yeah, <laughs> Sabine of the Sabine Sabines. Um, <laughs> Uh, we we realize from a conversation Kanan has with Hera that like essentially the rebellion has let part of Phoenix cell uh, go on this mission Um, things go south they realize the rescue mission was a trap Uh, they get rescued by uh the Night Owls with yeah. uh, Bo-Katan of Clan Kreese. And uh, Sabine's like, oh, like, you're the coolest Mandalorian ever. Here's the Darksaber. And she's like, nah, no, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm I'm not taking that shit. Uh, they go for rescue mission round two. And the fact that they now have uh, Clan Kreese helping, it works out a lot better. There is a phenomenal fight scene that is very reminiscent of the Last Crusade tank chase, uh, probably very intentionally. So I I looked it up to see it was absolutely intentional. They yeah. admitted that. Yeah, 
Um, just a lot of really great set piece action moments in these two episodes. But this this tank chase is a ton of fun because you have uh, people in jetpacks, people on speeder bikes, people on hover tanks, and then two Jedi f- kind of flipping around. And everyone is using these different elements in really creative and different ways. Yeah. They get the they get the 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 dad. Um, there's some great moments between him and Sabine about discussing art. Uh, Ursa is in a trap. Uh, this new awesome weapon is unleashed, and the episode ends really sinisterly, like really darkly. Um, the next episode opens up, and it is revealed that. Uh, Ursa and Chad did not die, but in fact, uh, were far enough away from the weapon as it was unleashed that they survived, but a ton of other Mandos died, and it is the weapon that Sabine made. Everyone's mad at Sabine. Everyone shits on Sabine for the next ten minutes. Uh, they go to destroy the weapon. Some more Mandalorian action is taking place. Another great set piece, uh, fight scene in a hangar. Uh, Sabine turns the weapon... Oh, the weapon, by the way, like, targets Mandalorian armor and, like, superheats it. Who's this bad guy? This fucking Draco Malfoy-looking fucker. <laughs> Is that... Was that Captain Hark, or was that Tiber Saxon? I think Hark. I think it's a Saxon again. Oh, then it's Tiber Saxon, who is the brother of Gar? Because there's yeah, two he's... new bad guys. He sucks. Yeah, I'm not a fan. Um, yeah, the one in uh, the one in uh, Mando armor on the Indiana Jones truck is Hark, who's really just there to give Andrew Kashino something to do now that he's been replaced by Forrest Whitaker as Saw Gerrera. But um, the one in Stormtrooper armor, yeah, that is uh, Tiber Saxon. And he is a Draco yeah. Malfoy-looking motherfucker. Wow, I never realized he that. He is, yeah. And he, like, doesn't even wear Mando armor anymore. He is so sold out to the Empire that he's just well, that's, wearing that's modified so the Stormtrooper Duchess, armor. That's because he operates yeah. the Duchess, yeah. Yeah. Which is uh, a so chilling the Duch- name. The Duchess is Sabine's super weapon, which targets Beskar armor. Um, Sabine modifies it to target Stormtrooper armor and is going to, like, massacre everyone. And of all people, Bo-Katan talks her off that ledge. Right. Uh, They destroy the weapon. Uh, Sabine offers Bo-Katan the Darksaber yet again. And this time, this time, uh, Bo takes it because she feels like she's earned it. Everyone cheers. Happy ending. So the first thing, because you just mentioned that it's weird that Bo-Katan talks her off that ledge. I went digging on StarWars.com and it turns out that as the episode was written, it was exactly what you would expect. Bo was... Bo was the one who wanted to use the Duchess and Sabine was talking her out of it. But when you have that, I mean, then none of the ghost crew really have an arc. So they switch Sabine and Bo's rules to give Sabine something to learn, but I don't think that matches up with their characters. I do like that 
Sabine talks about how she made this weapon because she was prideful and she wanted to see if she could do it. Yeah. And then she destroyed the plants. And then she still has that temptation of a creator of, I made this and I do kind of want to see what it does. I do think that's, that's fitting. I feel like maybe Fen Rao should have been the one yeah. to talk her off the ledge. Like, my first instinct would be Kanan, but I do think it has to be a Mandalorian. It does. Well, maybe even her mother. Because, I don't know, her mother has recently turned her back on the darkness, and she... Yeah. Uh, Bo is an unexpected choice with what we know about her. Yeah. I we can only assume that character development has happened from when she lost the throne to the empire. Uh, oh, yeah. And she talks about that. She talks about how she was ruling Mandalore. Uh, she, the Jedi had put her in charge and uh, she was betrayed by house Saxon and deposed. Um, so yeah, this is the same thing we come up to with Bogotan every time she's appeared in these episodes of like we have to assume character development has happened off screen because she is different than the last time we saw her yeah i would love a bo-katan like i don't think that character biographies make for good star wars fiction but a bo-katan birth to mandalorian biography would absolutely hook me I would love an audio drama in the way that Ooh. we've gotten the Afra and the Count Dooku ones. Yes. I think that would be really interesting. That would be a good one. So what else what else worked for us with these episodes? Because a lot happened in these two episodes. And there's the a lot of really fun moments. Yes. The designs of the various Mandalorian clans. Gorgeous. Very cool. And did you notice uh, Clan Vizsla has changed their symbol, maybe to distance themselves from the fact that Death Watch adopts the mark of Clan Vizsla as their symbol? Uh, it was a weird, subtle thing that I noticed, but now uh, Clan Vizsla is denoted by a holly branch. I don't think I noticed that at all. Yeah, the uh, cool. they, they have like black and white armor that almost resembles a skeleton but they all have a holly branch with red berries across their forehead. Oh, that's really Weird. cool. Yeah, I noticed that in the uh, that final scene when they're uniting the clans. Somebody steps forward out of the crowd of black and white mandos and says, Clan Vizsla is with you. Um, I thought the stormtroopers looked sharper, which is like a, a weird, you know thing to to notice but i i thought they were i thought they they looked slightly uh i don't know more detailed in these episodes i guess season four maybe they had some more money but yeah i mean with fewer episodes there's more money to punch into like renewing assets and stuff so that would make sense i hadn't noticed that i gotta go back and look for that I love Ezra trying to jetpack. It is such an inversion of him being arrogant about sword fighting in the Darksaber episode. I love non-Mandalorians having to hang out with Mandalorians because yes. 
we all think that we'd be the cool jetpack armor shooty shooty <laughs> flamethrower person, but no, hanging out with Mandalorians would suck. Uh-huh. They're they are obnoxious. Uh, so like whether it's um, Ezra just being like, "Oh, more Mandalorians, here we go," or um, a Timothy Oliphant, uh, fucking. Uh, Sheriff Cobb Vanth, yeah, having to like deal with Mando's bullshit, or um, I'm a bad fan. I haven't rewatched Mandalorian in uh too long because I've been saving it for the the podcast. But um, which episode? The bounty hunter, uh, grief carga. Oh, grief carga is always like tired of Mando's bullshit and like yeah. yeah. I, I like when non-Mandos have to hang out with Mandos. And so, like, Ezra, like, struggling with the jetpack and struggling with, like, Mando culture and being like, can you just take the armor off? And, <laughs> like, it's insensitive for sure, but he he's just kind of ignorant of their traditions. He, oh, like, yeah, he, he's, he, never... he's not trying to be rude. No. But, like, oh, it targets your armor, so, like, just take the armor off and you'll be fine. And, like... He doesn't get it. The, the energy in the room is immediately like, you just said something that, like, incredibly inappropriate. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's good I, stuff. Yeah. I like Ezra being a fish out of water with these warriors who are too uppity. <laughs> I always enjoy the Kanan and Hera moment, but there was something very special about this one. Kanan doesn't want to be a soldier again. No, he is he is one of the best examples of what the Clone War did to people. Like obviously Rex and Wolf and all that, but he I don't know, Kanan Kanan's trauma is one of the coolest threads running through Star Wars from a new dawn to rebels. I am a firm believer that Ahsoka is not a Jedi. Same. Like how someone identifies is really important. Ahsoka identifies as not a Jedi. Yes. Kanan identifies as a Jedi. Uh, I think, I think Kanan is the peak of what the uh, prequel era Jedi lost and what they should have been Uh, because he is still protecting people and he is still looking out for the little guy, but he is not a general. He is not a soldier. He is not, leading armies. Yeah. In he the just way, was, yeah. In the way that the, the clone wars Jedi were. Yes. Um, so he is my peak example of what a Jedi should be. Uh, Ahsoka very, like could easily be that, but I think we have to respect her, her own self identification of I've left that behind. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I get frustrated when people think that Ahsoka not being a Jedi means that she's light and dark. No, it just means that she's trying to define her own path in the light. But Kanan very much wants to walk the path that was promised to him and what his life would have been without the Clone Wars ever happening. Ahsoka understands that the Clone Wars were a transformative moment for the galaxy and allows them to be a transformative moment for her. Kanan kind of just wants them to have been this thing that happened and is now over. Yeah, and I, I think I that's mean, the difference. You, you can have your own spiritual tenets 
and choose to not follow a certain like religion. Like the, 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 the Jedi path is a religious path. And like Kanan is Kanan and Ahsoka were both burned by that religion. Um, Kanan is choosing to like still find the good in it and work Mm -hmm. through his trauma. Ahsoka has chosen to like follow her own spiritual journey and leave that religious path behind, but that doesn't mean she's taking on the dark side. Yeah, absolutely. I love your perspective on this, especially from your experiences like that. That really is both what unites and divides those two characters. Because they're, I mean, they're the same age almost, right? Kanan's a little younger than her. Yeah, Kanan is... Kanan's probably four or five years younger. Yeah, because she's she's late I I firmly believe Ahsoka is slightly older than what Clone Wars tells us, but... um, But he's 14, he's established as 14 when Order 66 goes down, and she is established, either way, as late teens. Yeah. So, yeah. But at this age, at the age they're at now, they're basically the same age. But it's, yeah, I never gave enough thought to comparing and contrasting those two characters, but you're right. I love Kanan and Fen Rao's, like, relationship. Uh, Like, these these two, these two veterans of the Clone Wars, and, like, whenever they're hanging out and uh, doing, doing stuff, it's a good time. Yeah, absolutely. I I recently read the comic with them, and I think my only regret was I wish they had had a little more interaction. It is literally a comic. He flies overhead. Yeah, yeah. It's not, but I love their relationship here. I very much love the um, inversion of gender roles between the uh the wrens yeah um and i love that there's a moment where ezra says oh i thought you were going to be a warrior and sabine like defends her dad and gets mad and she goes my dad fights with his heart (laughs) and then i love that uh a couple beats later ezra goes Oh, I see where Sabine gets her creative side. And Daddy Ren goes, What? No, she gets that from her mother. Her mom defeats her enemies in the most creative ways possible. <laughs> and it's it's this total inversion of like, know the you know, as far as gender binary is concerned, you would expect the the man to be the brave. Yeah, fearless warrior and the woman to be the like creative, soft artist. But here, no, the the mother is the warrior. The father is the artist. But then, the mother is creative in battle, and the father is, I don't know, aggressive in art. It's it, it's it's just very fun. It it's good stuff. Yeah, Ezra and, can do no right. In this episode. And I I also feel like it is uh, very much uh, different than what Karen Travis would give us with Mandalorian <sighs> culture. Don't get me started, but I'm started. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, everything about Sabine 
is is very much different from that. Although it was cool to bring Beskar back in. This yeah, was the first time. There are they, elements of yeah. every Star Wars work that is worth salvaging and 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 using again. Except Shadows I'm, of the Empire. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm I'm pushing it back. <laughs> I love shadows. I would no. argue there is not much of Karen Travis's Mandalorian writing that is worth salvaging. Uh, I think most of it's garbage. We've been vocal about that before, but something like Beskar is, yeah. you know, worth worth bringing back. And the language, you know, uh, even yeah. though I think Jesse Harlan developed the bones of the language, and she just built on what he did because he wrote the songs, the Mandalorian War songs for Republic Commando. And he started by creating a language. Um, God, I'm so excited to play Republic Commando again. Oh my God, I know. That comes back soon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's been years. Years. Same. I never owned it. I would rent it from Blockbuster. Oh, I love it. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. We yeah. own it somewhere. We have the Xbox one somewhere. Anywho, um, any more like good things that we really want to shout out? I mean, I love the villain. I love that like he's so one invested in using this weapon, and two, like the way he can use it safely is by shedding his Mandalorian identity and like yeah, the, the symbolism of him, him being so sold out. He he doesn't wear the armor anymore. Is yeah, every metaphor delicious. involved in that weapon. Yeah. Um, as far as other things, I have one, like, harmless headcanon that's unlikely to be proven one way or the other. Did you notice when Bo-Katan arrives, she has one man and one woman with her? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. That has to be, yeah. that To me, that has to be Koska Reeves and Axe Wolves. I would love that. I don't no know if it'll ever be confirmed, but yeah, I don't see no. why. Maybe some ultimate locations or, yeah, some visual guide, maybe. I don't know. I love that we get a Star Wars super weapon that isn't a planet destroyer. Yeah. And to me, this is a super weapon. This is oh, definitely right in the right in the vein of the Malevolence or, uh, you know, the Death Star or Star Killer. Like this is a phenomenally cool super weapon. Um, it's up there with the uh the 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 battering ram from Last Jedi. Like yeah, and it's it's the kind of thing the Empire would do in that it targets a specific culture that's a specific threat to them. Any negatives? This is not an intrinsic negative, but I will never pass up the opportunity to complain about this. Uh, at Celebration Orlando, they did an advanced screening of the first half of this duology. They ended it right when you think Ursa and Tristan are dead. And this screening was six months before part two aired. So I left that screening aggrieved for clan ren but so thrilled that rebels was so bold to really go there couldn't wait for part two part two opens up and they're fine they're walking towards the camera and i felt so betrayed 
I don't like death fakeouts for that very reason. Yeah. Because what they're doing is they are stealing without earning an emotional response. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I completely agree. I left Infinity War Part 1 angry. Because when people first started disappearing, I was like, oh, wow, like, that's really, really heavy. Jeez, I can't believe they just killed. I forget who died first. I think maybe mm-hmm. Bucky. And, like, I love Bucky. I love Sebastian Stan. Talk about him all the time on Ending Pending. Love him to death. He's the like. I was convinced that they had just killed him, like, for real. And then... Black Panther and Peter died. When when Black Panther died, I was like, oh, well, this is fake. Like, yeah, this is an illusion or this is going to be undone in the next movie. This is fake. And then the Peter death, I was just mad. I was like, I can't believe they would think that we would fall for this. <sighs> and like, I was walking through the parking lot, just kind of insulted. And then I saw people on Twitter and Facebook being like, I cried. I cried so hard. I cried when <sighs> Peter died and the, I don't want to go, Tony. And I was like, huh. I, like, not to, like, if that worked for you, fine. Like, that, like, but how? you know, people can take different things. But, yeah, for me, I I felt like they were trying to rob me of an emotional response that I knew, that I knew they didn't earn. Mm-hmm. I knew it was going to be undone. And, of course, it was, because, you know. Yeah. They, that like... Black Panther was signed up for a bunch more movies and we knew Peter Parker was going to be in homecoming or whatever the, the, the far from home or whatever. Yeah. So like, yeah, this, this sort of shit is cheap and it is a shame that rebels did it. And I feel terrible for you that you like bought it because of course (laughs) you do months. I remember the, the image of the, the burnt Mandalorian armor and the like, uh, yeah, the, they really the, the, the scorched season. helm. Yeah, and it was like, oh my god, like they're really gonna fuck up some main characters, and they, I mean, they didn't. Nope. I would have been maybe a bit more okay with Ursa and Tristan surviving if maybe a couple more other Mandos had also made it out. Yeah, it's it too convenient. Feels it feels a little cheesy that like, oh, just the two that Sabine really cares about made it. If if maybe a couple more people had survived and, you know, fled and uh, if uh, it maybe would have felt less cheap if one named Mandalorian had died from the weapon. Yeah. Like, that's the thing is, like, at the end of the day, this really doesn't affect Sabine personally. Not at all. I mean, like, she she feels really guilty for it and people like call her out on it. As they should. Yeah. But but at the end of the day, it's all unnamed faceless Mandos who who get fried to a crisp. Yeah, there's no reason that one of the Wrens and or hate to say it. Forgive me. Fen Rao. There's no reason they couldn't have died. One of them. Yeah, I uh, I wouldn't have wanted it to have been Ursa. And I yeah. wouldn't have wanted it to have been Fen. But if Tristan or, and I don't even remember his name, but Daddy Ren, if he... Alric is his name, yeah. Alric, if he had suited up 
for the battle. And I know he's not yeah. a fighter. And no, I love that he's not a fighter. Same. But if he if he had suited up and then someone died for this weapon to be destroyed, I think it would have. Uh, I think these episodes would have gone from just good to great. Yeah, that would have been powerful. And I guess maybe Sabine's sacrifice is that she isn't the one to unite the clan. She has to give up the Darksaber. She, realizes she never wanted it. Yeah, exactly. It was a responsibility she didn't want, so it's not really a sacrifice. No, that's <laughs> that's like a break. It's the opposite of a sacrifice, really. I don't have any other negatives. I completely agree with your point that it, uh, the cliffhanger is is cheap. Yeah, and um, I I I agree that uh, I guess my negative is that Sabine didn't pay personally for anything. Agreed with it so that's my negative um what do we learn about mandalorians here that we didn't learn before uh how fractured they are in this time i mean they've always been a little divided but they're super fractured and like uniting the clans is the priority it's that bad we also learn what Bo has been up to or rather not been up to i mean the fact that she was deposed the fact that she was deposed, the fact that she was betrayed by Mandalorians yeah. to do it, uh, I think is huge. It is the first time we see the surface of Mandalore in like a real way, like people spend time on the surface. And it is uh, a barren wasteland. Um, I think we assumed that Mandalorians had devastated it, but Sabine confirms that in her dialogue. We learn that Beskar is handed down through families for generations and is constantly reforged yeah. for the people who inherit it. That like is fucking that. cool as shit. Yeah, I that, love that. that. That is dope. And uh, I don't think we've ever heard that bit of lore before about Mando armor at this point. I don't think that's even in the Travis books because Beskar always seemed quite plentiful there, which bothered me. I just think that's fucking rad as hell. Like, yeah, I love that. It it, it turns the armor into, uh, you know, your father's sword. You know, when you're an adventurer, like it, yeah. it gives it like a a a fantasy Excalibur type element to it. Of, Agreed. You know, this has been handed down through my family, and it it becomes way more personal. Um, I don't, I, I, I'm struggling to remember anything else, but yeah, we get some really good tidbits of Mandalorian history. And this is the last Rebels episode we're doing in this rewatch. Yeah, this is it. I guess we're on to Mandalorian now. Um, we do get some more Thrawn, which is great. Thrawn is at this point kind of intrinsically tied to you know Mandalorians and I mean more specifically to Ezra uh and Ahsoka and Sabine but um yeah this is the last time we'll see Thrawn in our rewatch until I guess season three of the Mandalorian yeah. We know he's going to get name-dropped, but 
Yeah, he, he's yeah. going to be going away for a little bit. Did you see the news article recently where somebody asked Benedict Cumberbatch if he would be open to playing Thrawn in The Mandalorian? That casting is terrible, and I'm happy that he was like, absolutely not. Did I don't you see, want to be painted blue. Yeah, did you see he didn't know who it was, and they said he's a blue, and that was the deal breaker. I love that. I've seen a lot of really bad fan casts. Of, oh, yeah. Um, it's always articles of, like, Star Wars fans want, so, want Robert Downey Jr. to play Thrawn. I'm like, uh, what Star Wars fan wants Robert Downey Jr. to play Grand Island yeah. Thrawn? That is a Ooh. terrible choice. Why didn't you talk to me before you ran this? I'm Star Wars fans. Yeah, I, I, I too yeah. am Star Wars fans, and I hate that casting. Yeah, um, the perfect Thrawn is already playing him here. Lars M- Mikkelsen, yeah. yeah. Oh, truly. He's he's phenomenal. And if for whatever reason, if he didn't want to do it live action, get Mads to do it. Mads loves doing weird brother. shit. <laughs> yeah. He loves doing weird shit. You wouldn't even notice he was Galen. Oh yeah, that's true, isn't but it? Under, Jesus. But under the blue, under the blue, yeah. You, I, Star Wars has done you that shit before. Right. How many? Yeah. How many characters has uh, the chin guy, the guy with the biggest ass chin in the world, played? Which chin guy? The dude who tells Ezra about his parents. Oh, Clancy the Brown. Governor. Oh, he's played. So yeah, many. Clancy Brown has played like four people in Star Wars at this point. Yeah. Clancy Brown's only got one goddamn voice. He just uses oh, yeah. the same voice for everyone. And yeah, sometimes yeah, a Scottish just accent when he's on it's great. He's I love Clancy Brown. Silas, oh, he's incredible. Silas Carson in Phantom Menace plays like he's the navigator on the Jedi ship at the beginning. He's Kiati Mundi. He is Rune Hako. He he plays six characters in the Phantom Menace. I is he Kiati Mundi through all of the prequels? Yes. I Kiati Mundi is like my favorite background <laughs> Jedi because the actor who portrays him, Silas Carson, just seems to be having the most fun. He's doing like all these extra flourishes oh, with yeah. his lightsaber. It's it's fantastic. Rewatch the prequels and just focus on Kiati Mundi in in action scenes, and it is a joy. He's so I mean, his costume is fabulous as Jedi costumes go. But yeah, I I guess I've never really thought about it. But he he does a lot of spinning, and he does a lot of twirling, and all of his motions He's are swashbuckling. Big. Oh, totally. He is buckling swashes the entire <laughs> time, and it is a joy to watch. I'm sure everyone's having fun, but you really see it with Kiati Mundi in the Battle of Geonosis and then um, with the Galactic Marines on uh, Megiddo. Oh, yeah. On Megiddo is what I'm picturing. Uh, Right when he's getting on the gunship, he's doing a bunch of Earl Flynn shit in in the arena. It's great. I love that. Apparently, he was also Lot Dodd. Um, What were we talking about? We were talking about Thrawn. Thrawn, yeah. Uh, get Lars to do it again. If not Lars, get his brother. Uh, if not his brother, uh, get an unknown. Jesus, not not Cumberbatch, not RDJ. Uh, I saw someone say Johnny Depp, and what? like we don't need that baggage. No, no, Johnny Johnny Depp has not brought his A game in a long, long time. And uh, I know that there's kind of a he says she said with the stuff with him and his wife. And yeah. it's it, 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 from my perspective, they probably both did a lot of 
awful yes. stuff to each other. I don't know if there's a clear uh, person who was in the right or in the wrong. It seems like they were both pretty wrong. Um, yes. But like, yeah, we don't need we don't need that, and we don't, we don't we don't need depth doing no. the depth thing in Star Wars. I think we'll be fine without. We're we're just getting over a breakup with a controversial actor. Yeah. We don't need to. Oh boy. Oh boy. Um but yeah, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> next week is going to be The Mandalorian and it's yes, going to be it real is. exciting. Um any any other closing thoughts, Ryan? Not really. I mean, I guess the main takeaway from this episode is if a terrorist group uh appropriates your your family crest a bunch of berries is about as safe a redesign as any yeah you know that's a really good point if uh, <laughs> a symbol close to your heritage or family has been completely taken over by a hate group maybe the most mature thing to do is to get a new one yeah I don't know worth worth thinking about <laughs> Clan Vizsla sure thought so. And that, that does us, I think. All right. Well, follow us on Twitter at Force Friends Pod. Give us money at Kofi slash Force Friends Rewatch. We don't really use that anymore, but I mean, still, you can. Uh, you can shoot us an email at forcefriendsrewatch at gmail.com. When we want to give, oh boy, we want to give a huge thank you to Bristol Podworks for that intro and for being our producer. You can go reach out to them to make your podcast streams come true and very excitingly we have a patreon we teamed up with ending pending to form where they may radio you can get some great rewards at our patreon which is patreon slash wtm radio and uh yeah what do we say to close the podcast there ryan we say to tell the boy about his parents tell the goddamn boy about his parents and I know Mr. Chins did, but like... Yeah, Clancy Brown. He's got a big chin. He did tell him. He did. Good for him. Is he the guy from Starship Troopers? He is the guy from Starship Troopers, right? He is. Yeah. He's the guy from Spongebob, which is more important. I hate Spongebob. I bet Ronnie is what? doing the closing music right now. But yeah, I don't like Spongebob. <laughs> oh, that's a talk for another time. We're yeah, it, it almost put a rift between Evan and I early on in our relationship, but... I'm glad it didn't. Yeah, I understand same. why it could. Yeah, I, I am wondering if the music is still going. Where they may radio.